Welcome to Engineering Career Journeys, brought to you by Australia-wide Engineering Recruitment. This is a podcast series where we interview prominent senior engineers from across Australia and delve deeper into their career journeys and how they got where they are today. We hope that this will inspire and assist up-and-coming engineers in planning their own careers. Now over to your host, David Armstrong, General Manager of Australia-wide Engineering Recruitment. Hello and welcome to today's conversation with Graham Whitson. Graham is a civil engineer from Melbourne University with a postgraduate studies in finance and also in business administration. After working with Leighton's and Billfinger for many years in roles such as project manager, project director, and managing director, Graham's current role is executive general manager, operations for Pacific Partnerships, a member of the CIMIC Group, previously known as Leighton Holdings. As a world-leading international contractor with almost 120 years of experience, CIMIC Group has the expertise to deliver large-scale and complex construction, infrastructure, mining and mineral projects, and operation and maintenance services. Pacific Partnerships is the CIMIC Group's project finance arm. Pacific develops, invests, and manages infrastructure assets for the CIMIC Group, offering clients solutions for key infrastructure under public-private partnership and build, own, operate, transfer structures. Thanks so much, Graham, for agreeing to join with us today, and I'm excited to hear about your career journey. Thanks, David. Glad to be here. What originally interested you to become an engineer, Graham? Well, I was always good at physics and maths at school. I also liked graphic design, which I continued even into year 12, which is quite unusual for someone going down an engineering path. So civil engineering seemed to be the logical fit for me. There's always been a great sense of satisfaction in seeing something designed constructed and delivered into use. There sort of remains that permanent record or physical structure of your achievement, which is something to be proud of. It's not just memory or paper-based. You know, there's something always there to show your kids or show your family or your friends and, and be proud of. Fantastic. So no regrets at all? No regrets at all. Wonderful. What was the biggest turning point which helped to progress your career? So I think initially it was a willingness to travel for work. Many young engineers want to stay close to home, family and friends, but sometimes the sacrifice is needed to get your start or to be recognised or to get a step forward in your career. My first job required me to move home every three or four weeks. We were constructing the Optus Fibre optic cable network across Australia, so that meant living in hotels and living in pubs for in just about every town between Melbourne and Brisbane for me. It was difficult personally, but was a really great experience and it came at a time that I didn't have wife or kids to worry about. I established some really good relationships with the team because we were living together, working together, and we ended up working together on multiple projects since. But I think probably the biggest turning point for me was my involvement in the Southern Cross Station Redevelopment or the Spencer Street Station Redevelopment. It was the first PPP I got involved in, PPPs being public-private partnerships. I was 10 years into my career. I'd had several roles on the project, initially as a project manager of all things rail-related, but later as the construction manager of everything other than the roof. But most significantly for me, I was the primary point of interface with the government client, our financiers, and the rail franchisees, which included the Metro Trains equivalent, Connex, at the time, and V-Line, which did all the regional trains. So it required a really high level of contract understanding and management, as well as understanding how the rail network operated. But equally important was the management of relationships. It was on this project that I realised that I was pretty good at negotiating and managing outcomes. Most pleasing was that clients thought so too. 
as they recommended me to others, which created the opportunity that pulled me out of direct construction and, and into project finance and PPPs more broadly. So I was headhunted by Billfinger Group at that time. They're a large German construction and services business, but specifically I was appointed to their project investments business. I came on board as the project director of the Royal Women's Hospital Redevelopment, which changed my career forever, really. Some significant projects, some real milestone structures in Melbourne. Well, that's what I, I think I said initially about civil engineering. I mean, being involved in projects where you've got a permanent record, something you can look at and see and talk about. You know, the Royal Women's Hospital, the Western Ring Road, the Jollymont Rationalisation here in Melbourne, which was the you know, all the work that was done before Federation Square to make Federation Square possible. So they're all really uh, good local projects. Was the MCG ever a project of yours? No, that wasn't one of mine, but uh, similar sort of thing. Sure. Yeah, Spencer Street Station has a spectacular roof, but you mentioned that the roof wasn't part of the project that you were responsible for. Well, it was part of the project I was responsible for, but I didn't specifically look after the roof. Um, I was responsible for everything other than roof. I was responsible for procuring all of the occupations of the rail network to allow us to lift the roof in at night and take possession of the tracks to be able to do that work. So, so I did all of that, but not specifically the roof construction itself. Sure. And that point that you made in regards to travel and being away from home on a very regular basis, is that something you would recommend to young engineers to stretch one's boundaries and accept opportunities in perhaps remote locations? I think part of it's about getting that experience, but I think it's more about demonstrating to your employer that you're committed to the work, uh, you're committed to the job. And now as engineers, you can't always be guaranteed there's going to be a project in your backyard. You want to work on the good projects. You want to work on the projects that are going to give you the experience you seek and you need. And if that means you've got to go interstate or international for a little while, then, then it's worthwhile. And the best time to do it is when you're young. Yes, that's great advice. Have you had many mentors along the way? And if so, how much have they helped you? I've had some terrific mentors and supporters over my journey, really, to stand out. As an engineer with five or so years' experience, I got a start on the Jollymont Rationalisation Project, which I mentioned before. That was effectively the reconfiguration of the railway yards underneath Federation Square to make that possible. So the project manager I had at the time, a guy by the name of Gary Briggs, put a lot of confidence in me and gave me great opportunities to grow and improve. He had exceptional people management skills. He was extremely humble in his own description of his engineering and technical attributes. He never confessed to have any of those. <laughs> um, his real talent lay in getting the most out of people, so supporting them, encouraging them, yeah. making them want to work for him. He took a real interest in his people and it paid dividends in terms of team performance. Now, the same team we had there would go on to work together on several projects thereafter, including that Southern Cross Station redevelopment. Mm. So he, he set a real benchmark for me in terms of people management. The other was my first manager at Billfinger, a guy by the name of Charles O'Neill. He also had an extremely strong focus on relationships, but importantly, he taught me a lot about contract interpretation and the benefits of being able to see positions through the eyes of others. So to be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. He was also a great supporter of personal development and he helped me mm. progress within that organisation, both locally and internationally. Brilliant. What I took away from those two people really is the need to show interest in your direct reports, find out what's important to them, how they like to be treated, what their career ambitions are, and then help them develop the skills they need to get there. If you work for them, they'll work for you is really the message I got from those guys. Sounds like very valuable, impressive advice. Do you also mentor people along the same way? Yes, yes, very, very much so. I think, you know, as I said, that, that's the lesson I took from those guys. If you get to know your people, you get to know what they're looking for, 
and you help build their careers, you know, you should always want them to, to surpass your career. And if, if you take that mindset, you know, they're going to want to work for you and work with you and, and you'll get the best out of them. Sure. You've done quite a lot of postgraduate studies, Graham. How important have they been in order to reach your level? Look, it's a difficult question to answer because I guess it depends on the employer's view of their value and importance. In my case, I enrolled in the Masters of Applied Finance after I was employed at Billfinger Project Investments. I recognised that project finance was a key part of the PPP world and was something I would like to better understand. I didn't need it necessarily for the role, but having that qualification would, at least on paper, give me more credibility when dealing with project financiers. Uh, it helped me better understand how PPP project finance worked. And I've no doubt benefited from that, I guess, in performing the subsequent roles as a director on numerous project boards. The business administration qualifications were probably less important for me from a progression perspective, but have really helped me on the softer human resources elements of business leadership. So managing change, managing people, mentoring and, and those mm. other leadership qualities. So really valuable. Did it help me achieve my current role and level? It's certainly given me more credibility and confidence in mm -hmm. expanding my roles, particularly in those project governance aspects, but I'm not sure that my employers have ever looked at it and thought, you know, well, I've only had two employers really over, over my journey. So yes, being Leighton and Billfinger, so it's, um, it hasn't necessarily helped me get where I've got to, but it's been really helpful in performing the roles. I guess it helps you perform the roles well. Sure. So based on the employer, then you would recommend to young engineers to explore those sort of opportunities? Yeah, but do it for the right reasons. Do it because yeah. you think it's something, well, one, that interests you, but two, is actually going to help you perform your role. That's value. Yeah. I wouldn't say, I mean, some people view it as a something they need to do to be able to progress their career. In my case, I don't think that was the case. I didn't need to do it to progress my career, but I've probably got no doubts that my career has progressed because of I've been able to perform better having that having that knowledge. Sure. You strike me as someone who's always continually looking for improvement, for learning, and um, personal development is, is an interesting topic of yours? Yes. And as I mentioned earlier, the importance of personal development is something I learned from my mentors. I actually don't think of it so much as my personal development. I think it is personal development of my staff. I want them to surpass me at some stage. So within Pacific now, we run a professional development program within the whole wider CIMIC group that allows us to identify staff career objectives and development needs. But I also keep pretty close contact with my old colleagues at Billfinger as well. And we're always talking about next steps and, and what opportunities there might be for them. But in terms of my own development, I think I've topped out as far as I'd, I'd like to in terms of doing further studies. Right. For me now, it's just utilising those, those skills moving forward. Yes. So leading large teams in sometimes complex projects, your background as a civil engineer in your role now, how important was that solid initial beginning for you you know what civil engineering is a really valued qualification it, to me most people view engineers as people with common sense and logical thinking we're project managers for a reason because we actually see things in a logical way and do things in a you know a controlled and purposeful manner so it's always served me well it's not so much there's, there's so many parts of my degree at melbourne uni that I, i've never used and will never use but I think it's practical, common sense, problem-solving abilities of engineers you know, can, can be applied to any business, whether it be infrastructure, construction or banking or anything. Yeah, that's just my view on it. Sure. We need more engineers. We do. <laughs> many, <laughs> many, many more. Yes. Have you got some? 
(laughs) (laughs) What was the toughest challenge in your career and how did you overcome it? I think finding a balance between work and play is never easy. As young engineers, particularly those guys that have got to work on sites and construction sites, they're required to work on Saturdays, which can often clash with sporting and social activities. I made quite a few sacrifices early on, particularly when I was traveling every three or four weeks, it was impossible to play footy or to to socialize with my friends because I was away. (laughs) But I think that helped me progress more quickly. The other challenge I think I had was the move from direct construction into PPP land has provided me with a, a more stable Monday to Friday experience. Although working days can still be long and you're often required to work outside of hours and on weekends, you have a bit more flexibility. I also now have a lot of midweek travel, except during COVID, of course, we're not not able to. But I think going down that path has given me now the flexibility to far better manage and balance my work and personal pursuits. You know, I can do the work when it suits me rather than the commitment of being on a site all the time. But there's no doubt getting that site experience is invaluable. If you don't have it, it's it's hard to be able to, to manage at a more senior level and manage people who are still out there six days a week. Yes, that work-life balance is, is often a difficult one to achieve. What tips and advice from your experience would you give to a young engineer striving to succeed and deliver, but also to hit that right balance? Well, I think you do need to make some sacrifices. But as I said earlier, better to make them when you're young and you don't have kids and you don't have a wife. You can can make those sacrifices, get those points on the board, and then you will progress into senior management roles more quickly, at which time it is much easier to balance those things between work and play. What does a current typical day look like for you? Current's a key word there for me, David, because with Mm. COVID, um, Mm. there's nothing typical about it, really. There's been quite a bit of work from home. I would normally be travelling a lot. I would normally have a few short-haul flights between Australia and New Zealand or interstate, so a couple of nights in hotels each week. Uh, I speak regularly with the leaders on each of my projects. I've got eight projects in my portfolio at the moment, three in New Zealand, one in Brisbane, three in Sydney, and one in Canberra. So as you can imagine, I have to get around a bit. I would meet with those leaders very regularly provide advice and guidance on issue resolution and and contract management type things, but also focus on how we can improve our performance. I also take the opportunity to visit with clients and project partners. It's really important to develop relationships with those because there's always a time where you do have a contractual issue or a disagreement and relationships are key to being able to solve that. Uh, I spend time reviewing reports and attending board meetings. So I sit on six boards currently, which are effectively special purpose companies for each of the projects. Preparing internal reports and communicating with my boss. I mean, communication is everything in a business. If you hold things too close to your chest and people aren't informed and they find out about it later, I can tell you they're not going to be very happy. So it's really good to communicate well with your boss and make sure they know, at least at a high level, all of the issues that we have and how we're dealing with them. You know, they're not caught out or surprised at any point in time. And I also spend quite a bit of time developing relationships with our sister organisations within CIMIC, so CPB Contractors and UGL and to a lesser extent Ventia, but we do do some work with Ventia. We work consistently with those organisations, so making sure we have close relationships and we're providing an integrated approach is pretty key to our business model. But mostly just finding solutions to problems is what I've got to do. Sure. And time management must be a skill of yours. You've got a lot on your plate. Yeah, it, it certainly can be at times, but it's always a squeaky door that gets the oil. So it's about managing priorities and you know, making sure the things that need attention most are, are getting attention. So having a very structured approach. Yeah. 
You've had some extremely interesting, diverse projects. What's been the most challenging one for you? I think what I love most about what we do is that every project's different and interesting in its own way. There's always something new to learn, whether that be improving what we do in our work or learning about what is important to our clients and how they operate. I mean, I've been involved in telecommunications projects, heavy railways, motorways, hospitals, schools, prisons, rolling stock, light rail, tunnels. I've even done Australia's first driverless trains, which is quite fascinating. And, and every one of them is different and interesting in their own way. But the Royal Women's Hospital project remains one of my favourites. I was project director of, of that and was able to get involved in absolutely everything. I learned so much about the hospital itself, how it functioned, what was important to the hospital, but most significantly, why it was important to our community and my family. I mean, we've all got mothers, sisters, daughters and friends, and they all need facilities like this at critical times. For me and, and the project team, actually, we did some really good work as a team early on. We, we were never building a hospital. We were providing a service to the community and we were providing something that was going to benefit our friends, our family and everyone else at, at critical times. So I got to speak with patients and surgeons and nurses and cleaners and security staff just to understand what was important. So it was a fantastic experience to see all of that consultation and input go into a design and then get constructed, and then now operations of a hospital. So really, really satisfying. I then got involved in prisons, and wow, you know, that's, that's something. <laughs> You'd think it's just concrete concrete and walls and there's not much to see, but when you think about security systems and, and how prisoner movement considerations need to be considered, and, and then there's recidivism, which is you know, making sure offenders don't go back into the community and commit crime again, you know, putting in place training programs and skill-based programs to make sure when they go back into the community that they're able to get jobs and they're able to avoid re-offence. Even the segregation of different classes of prisoners within, you know, you've got sex offenders, you've got violent criminals, you've got gangland type groups. You know, it's all quite fascinating, really. There's always something to learn. Very interesting. Those diverse type of projects that you really enjoy, the, the challenge of, of that variety? Oh, I certainly do. And, and I really like understanding... Yeah, you know, I think as engineers we think about, oh yeah, we're building something, but understanding why you're building it and and the way it's going to be used is what I love about public-private partnerships because that's what we do. You know, we everyone talks about innovation. Well, innovation for me is about understanding how people are actually going to use a facility and coming up with the best way of functionally achieving that. It's not about being smart about how much concrete or how much steel you've got in your components of your build. It's it's really about how's the thing going to get used for the purpose it's intended, and that's what's great about PPPs. Sure, and I really like your point on creating solutions, so looking for positive outcomes which are sustainable and repeatable. Yep. Brilliant. If there was something you could look back at and wish you'd known when you'd started your career, Graham, what might that be? Well, I think the move to PPPs was a game changer for me. It made me realise that civil engineers and project managers could do so much more than just work on construction projects. What I realised was there's roles at legal firms for engineers, you know, to provide practical insight into mm -hmm. contracts. Banks use engineers to perform due diligence on projects and subcontractors to help satisfy their investment or credit committees before they actually commit project financing. Equity investors value construction experience when they're appointing someone to watch over their investments. Facility management companies, you know, whilst FM's not really engineering, they value those project management skills that we pick up as engineers and the experience we gain on construction sites because we naturally bring a well-structured, common-sense approach to most things. What was really interesting for me is that I think as a young engineer, I always thought working on construction sites was sort of it. 
that's mm-hmm. what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life. But getting into public-private partnerships, even though I've sort of stayed in project delivery, it made me realise, you know, I could go and work for a bank or I could go and work for a law firm. I don't have to yes. be a lawyer to work for a law firm. You know, they value people like us to help them uh, interpret practicalities around contracts. So I'm not sure that I would change when I started working in PPPs as I think that prior 13 years experience or about 10 years experience before my first PPP you know, was invaluable but I've certainly enjoyed the last 18 years in, in that specialised area. Clearly negotiating, managing, ultimately delivering diverse projects on multiple levels with a variety of stakeholders is a strength of yours. How do you do this so effectively? Well, I think relationships are important. You need to treat others how you want to be treated. Importantly, be respectful and, and listen. Some people have a tendency to talk over the top and get to say what they want to say, but listening is a really strong skill that's required. On every project, you know, I view achieving alignment of expectations as very important. You know, we need to understand what every stakeholder's role is in the project and what's important to them and what success looks like for them. Because if we understand that, we can sometimes understand their behaviours better and why they might react a certain way. So, so understanding expectations is good. I always try to establish an agreed set of behaviours at the start of a project. We'd even put those up on a little charter on a wall to say, for example, no surprises. You know, we're going we're gonna to talk first and write later. There's nothing worse than receiving a letter from somebody that you didn't expect or, or the content of which you find offensive. That can be really damaging to relationships. And as I said from the start, relationships are important. So I'm a big believer in communicating and talking first and writing later. Experience is important for credibility. You don't have to know everything, but it certainly helps when you know more than the person you're talking to. I've always found that a good philosophy to to work by so always be prepared do your research and homework now if you're entering into any discussion or meeting you know know what you're going to want to say and also probably consider what impact what you say is going to have on the other person so that you're ready to manage any potential conflict if you expect there's going to be some sort of negative reaction so that's probably the advice i'd, I'd give on that and how it's been it seems to have served me pretty well over the years brilliant if there is project slippage for whatever reason, how do you face dealing with significant challenges that might pose a significant problem for your client? It's what I do every day, I guess. No yep. project's easy. Every project has points of challenge within the construction period, particularly. You know, I think contractors today are taking a lot of risk. A lot of project risk is being passed by governments down to the private sector, and there's always challenges in managing that. Again, communication is really important. It's being able to identify the issues early, talk with your project partners, make sure there's a common alignment of taking a best-for-project approach. And if you do that, more often than not, you'll find a way through it. Obviously, there's always going to be points in time where somebody will say, well, that's not you know, that's not our, our risk, that's yours. You need to pay us for that if you want us to do that. You'll get into some sort of dispute or debate. We try really hard to make sure that never goes down goes too far it always gets mm-hmm. negotiated and an outcome is always found and it's not always somebody wins and somebody loses often you've got two losers but but you need to find that balance where it's acceptable for all parties and you can move forward and and the longer you stagger and you stall on resolving issues the more trouble you get the project into mm-hmm. so the quicker you can resolve them the better typically so having that credibility and those strong relationships that you mentioned they're really fundamental yeah you know, if the relationship's not there, if the first time you're picking up the phone to talk to the leader of the other side, if you like, is when you've got an issue, well, then you've failed already. You know, by that stage, you should have met many, many, many times, talked about the good stuff, talked about how you can do things better, 
and when an issue arises, you know, you can sit down and talk sensibly about it. You're not just putting a letter forward to them saying, here's our claim. Sure. How do you see the future for engineering, Graham, in Australia? Some of the projects coming out now are 6 to $10 billion. You know, North East Link, which is one of the current ones, come out $10 billion PPP project. It's massive. So finding, particularly on the construction side, not so much on the PPP or investment side, but on the construction delivery side, finding people who have done a project or managed a project of that scale in a project director seat, there aren't many of them. And we've got that. We've got Melbourne Metro. We've got Westgate Tunnel. We've got Suburban Rail Loop. We've got Melbourne Airport Link. There's some massive projects coming. I'm not convinced we have the number of people and I'm not sure we can get the people from overseas because our projects are as big as they are anywhere in the world. They are big infrastructure projects. But aside from finding those highly experienced people, I think for younger engineers, there are great opportunities to get involved in these big projects. That's where they're going to learn the most. They're going to see a lot. They're going to get to do a lot of different things in the course of one project. And it's going to help them progress more quickly. I think getting experience on those big projects is, uh, one, a good experience and two, invaluable in terms of your CV. How important do you think it is to have perhaps a wider range of engineers in Australia from a diversity point of view? When you say a wider range, you mean different engineering disciplines or? Well, both and also backgrounds and cultures and genders and just getting that diversity, that mix. Uh, Look, I, I think everybody brings different experiences. It's about how you harness that and how you can get those people to work cooperatively and collaboratively. We're always at our best when we perform as a team, not as individuals. So, you know, I always say if you've got a bit of diversity, it's great. It should bring more experience, but no good if you don't share it. And one last question, which is almost like a summary, Graham. Could you please offer some advice that you could give to a person perhaps wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? So I think trying to get involved in the big public infrastructure projects is a good start. It's easy to get involved in those. There are a number of positions within those. If you can go for the roles that have interfaces with external parties rather than just insular roles, I mean, you think about a a big road project or a big tunnelling project. If you're an engineer looking after a particular section of that, you'll have a lot of interaction within your team but you won't necessarily have interaction with the client or other external parties. But if you can get yourself in a role which involves interfaces with external parties, you're going to get recognition not only within your organisation but potentially outside your organisation. And for me, that was that was a key. Um, when I was at Southern Cross Station, I had that external-facing role and it just introduced me to a lot of other organisations and job opportunities came from that, which, which at the end was, was a game-changer for me. The other thing I'd probably say, you know, there's plenty you can learn off the internet these days. If you want to get into public-private partnerships, there's a heap of media and publications around why they're good and why they're not. Some of them are very biased, either positively or negatively, but you could usually work out a reasonable balance. But if you can develop that understanding of the model and how it works, whether that be through internet-based or talking to people like me, you know, I think that'd stand you in good stead for, for starting on one. Challenging one's boundaries is important jumping in the deep end, pushing yourself. Yeah, I think so. Exactly like you've done. (laughs) Yeah, I've never viewed it that way. I've always found it hard to leave an organisation. Some people seem to jump from one company to another. You know, I had 13 years at Leighton's, then 12 years at Billfinger, and now I'm back now at the Simic Group, which was formerly Mm -hmm. Leighton for another, I've been there five years now. So I've always been a pretty loyal person, but I found that served me well because you, you grow a reputation within the business and provided that reputation is good, People will, will make sure you get good roles and, and you advance. If your reputation is not so good, well, then maybe you do need to leave. So 
when I'm looking at someone's CV and I've seen they've bounced from company to company, and my first question to myself is, well, why is that? You know, they can tell us it was a, an opportunity and they were seeking it, but to me, it, it's a little bit of lack of loyalty. And if there weren't opportunities for them within their organisation, then why? So, you know, my advice would be try to get involved in the big projects. To do that, you're probably going to be at one of the bigger, bigger tier construction firms. You know, there should be opportunities there. Try and stick with it. But, but I, I also agree if they're not showing personal interest in you and developing a career, well, then you do need to move. I've been lucky enough that I have been uh, well cared for along the journey. Excellent. It's been fascinating hearing your journey, Graham. You've been very generous with your time. Thank you very much indeed. Graham Whitson, Executive General Manager for the Pacific Partnership Group, which is part of CIMIC. Thank you so much. Thanks, David. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast episode of Engineering Career Journeys. Please like, subscribe and provide feedback. Australia-wide engineering recruitment can be found at australiawide.com.au or on our LinkedIn page. We look forward to presenting more interviews with interesting engineers shortly.